Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. Uh, I have Jordan. Say hi, Jordan. Well, hello there. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. I appreciate being on the podcast. Yes, and um, if you wanted to take a couple quick minutes and just kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My name is Jordan Funk. I actually have a podcast of my own with my co-host uh chris rimmer we uh host dc comics squadcast and we're part of the squadcast media so we got hooked up through um tim and scott over at the suicide squadcast which i know we both follow so they were looking for some new podcast hosts and i said you know podcasting something i've kind of wanted to get into for a while so found my found my outlet found my people and just kind of enjoying life ever since so yeah, it's pretty much me in a nutshell. A comic loving nerd, love sports, music, movies, theater, anything pretty much. So I'm pretty much down for anything. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad uh, you reached out because um, could not wait to have you. And then you picked, uh, what movie did you pick to discuss? I picked 12 Angry Men, which was uh, the edition that re- was released in 1957. Yes, yes. I am so excited about this. Um you know, it, it's something that it's one of those classics that, you know, it's almost surprising we haven't talked about it yet. And that's why I was really, really happy when you suggested it. I was like, man, I can't wait to sit down and watch this and just kind of dive in. Uh, so when did when did you first see this movie? Um, I actually first saw this movie when I was in 11th grade English in high school. Um, oh. We actually read the screenplay first. And um, it was actually pretty interesting because I was involved in theater quite a bit in high school. So a lot of times during English classes and all that stuff, they would ask me to read certain parts. And um, they knew that a lot of people didn't really want to volunteer and participate. So uh, my English teacher at the time, Mr. Werthner, actually asked me to read juror number eight. So I think that's probably why I have an affinity uh, for this movie as well as for the screenplay. And uh, that was the first time seeing it. So I'd say I was about, what, 16 and 11th grade in high school. Oh, that is so awesome. And I feel like that kind of prepared you for podcasting in a way, being good at reading out loud. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A, a little bit. It's, uh, you know, when you're, it, it's definitely good to have, you know, the interpersonal skills. And so it's something I work with every day. And I figure, you know, podcasting just, you know, sort of helps me with my vernacular a little bit, get out there and, um, you know, really kind of experience a whole lot of different things, talking with a whole lot of different people and just kind of loving life. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, um, when you suggested this, I was, uh, my first thought was, I I think that I've seen this and it took kind of sitting down and watching it again to remind myself that I had, but 
I saw it during a film class in college. And mm-hmm. at the time I was kind of cramming a lot of movies in. Um, yeah. I don't think I was always the, you know, the student that was like ahead of the curve in terms <laughs> of getting everything done on time. Yeah. And so when you do that, the, the bad part about that is you don't get the appreciation for the film and the time and the attention to it that you need. And I really think you need that for this film in particular. So, oh, yeah. you know, one of the, best parts about doing this podcast is getting to watch films like this and really sit down and give it the time and attention it deserves. I would absolutely say this is one of those movies that, you know, any film buff will tell you you need to see and they're Mm -hmm. not wrong. It's not like a, Oh, you have to watch this, you know, (laughs) pretentious sort of I'm better than you. It's like, it's just that good and you just need to see it. So I was so happy to watch this. It felt like watching it for the first time. And, uh, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. So with that, I think what I'm going to do next is kind of just dive into the synopsis really quick. Uh, You already mentioned that we are talking about the 1957 version, and I'm really glad you selected that version as well. Um, I've heard there's other ones that are really great. Uh, As we discussed already, this is based on a play uh, by Reginald Rose, and you can really tell that from the movie, and we'll Mm -hmm. dive into the details of why. But here is the uh, summary for Angry Men. Uh, Following the closing arguments in a murder trial, the the 12 members of the jury must deliberate with a guilty verdict, meaning death for the accused, an inner city teen. As the dozen men try to figure out a unanimous decision while sequestered in a room, one juror, Henry Fonda, casts considerable doubt on the elements of the case. Personal issues soon arise to the surface, and conflict threatens to derail the delicate process that will decide one boy's fate. That's a pretty good synopsis. A lot of ones that I found were really short, actually, so that was like a really nice thorough, in-depth synopsis without giving anything away, pretty much. Right, right. Yeah, I think I got that one. It was either off IMDb or Wiki, but like you said, sometimes you have to kind of read through a few of them to make sure you're getting covering all your bases there. Um, You know, one quick fact that I had about this movie is out of the 96-minute runtime, only three minutes take place outside of the courtroom um, or outside of that juror room. And, uh, you know, you can definitely tell by watching this, it it definitely feels like a play, Yeah. but there's some aspects of it that I think are actually improved by it being a movie. And we'll kind of talk about that. Um, but you could definitely see it being a play and I would, I would enjoy seeing it as a play too. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, I didn't have a lot of like fun, quirky facts about this one. Kind of all the facts I did have are sort of about the jurors specifically or the director. Did you have any quick things you wanted to kind of toss in there? I was going to say, I don't really have any necessarily fun facts aside from the fact that it is based off of a real jury duty experience from Reginald That's Rose. Right. Um, mm-hmm. He served as a juror in a manslaughter case in early 1954. And then um, what he did was he wrote a, a teleplay that was, I think, originally 60 Minutes um, that gotcha. aired for CBS. But aside from that, yeah, it's kind of hard to take up a lot of nuggets on these older films, I feel like. Uh, so it was kind of hard to, to really find. And the other thing, like you talked about how it's very much um, – a play in many ways. Uh, Lume, the director, had a, a, a very extensive theater uh, theatrical background, so mm-hmm. he had a really intense rehearsal process with the actors as well. He kept them up in the uh, rehearsal space for um, 
I think all day for two weeks times while they were rehearsing. And I think they said it took like, he had a reputation for um, being very prompt with his direction and his movies. And he actually (laughs) finished one day ahead of schedule. They were so well-prepared and the shooting they said just kind of really went uh, pretty swimmingly. And so um, aside from that, yeah, not really a whole lot of other facts, but you, you definitely get the theater vibe from the film for sure. Yeah. You know, I had a quick question for you that's a little bit, yeah. you know, uh, of a tangent, but have you ever served on a jury before? I never have served on a jury before. I got asked to do jury duty once when I was away at college and because I was away and because it was actually back home, I had submitted in the form and they were like, that's okay. We'll find you later. <laughs> you know, you're like we'll get yeah. you at some other point. But uh, no, I've never had to serve on a jury before. Have you? I actually have. And, wow. you know, not to place myself anywhere close to the level of Henry Fonda's character. But um, I, you know, when I was watching the movie, I thought a lot about that experience and how, how similar it felt. I mean, obviously it wasn't this dramatic. It was not a murder trial, but um, you know, just how people's personalities play such a huge part, unfortunately in their decisions. And I felt very strongly um, kind of, like this situation, I felt that there was reasonable doubt. Yeah. And so I was like one of the dissenting voices that like did not want to convict oh, this. Per- yeah. It wasn't this, it wasn't as serious as this movie. It was just, uh, there, there, there had been a car accident and, uh, the person that caused it, you know, legally caused it. It's not like right. they, but, but they were at fault. And, uh, the, the people that they hit were two, uh, people that, spoke some English, not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. They had kind of waited a little bit to go to the doctor. And then basically they had racked up all these medical bills. Oh man. And so, yeah. And so basically we were supposed to decide who should pay for that and if they were telling the truth or not. Oh. And Yeah. And like what really upset me about the case was there were so many people that were just wanted to come down on them like a hammer and say, you know, oh, they're obviously abusing the system. Right. Uh, you know, and, and the, the the biggest curveball to that is that they weren't asking for extra money. They were literally just asking for to the money the to pay for bills. bills. Right. Uh. And so it was kind of like, <laughs> I just kept saying things like, and I kind of am like, I guess a little bit, you know, there is some of your personal, personal like opinions that come into yeah. play, but I said like, well, you know, if you uh, if you don't have insurance, uh, you may not go to the doctor right away. Uh, you may wait until you're in so much pain, and so it could seem like you know you're you may are faking an injury when really you just right. you waited longer than most people would. And like there was just all this back and forth, and it was oh, just it was man. pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, luckily we decided it like that day, but but um, even but yeah, still, it it's was, just. Yeah, it's hard to when you get in a room like that and you start to hear the personal prejudices come out because then how do you address that by attacking, you know, do you how do you go about saying something to that person without feeling like you're attacking them, you know? And um I feel like that's something that this movie does pretty well aside from here and there where you know, they got the one guy that stops up and say like, "Hey buddy, if you don't stop, I'm going to sock you one." But like Right. Um, aside, exactly. from, aside from that, it's really tough to in those situations, especially with people you've never met before, and you have to right. argue. You're, you have to argue for your side of 
what you think. And then when you get out of there, it's like, oh man, if I ever see that person like in a store, what am I going to think, you know, <laughs> or something? Exactly. Yeah. And what, what would be kind of neat about even like redoing this, uh, this movie today, because I think the casting would be different today, obviously, oh, yeah. than from 1957. Uh, and the people that you think would be more sympathetic aren't necessarily. And, and I thought that was surprising too. And, you know, just having questions like, you know, well, uh, if you have a really high bill for, you know, like in this case, these people got like uh, MRIs and stuff like that. Right. And some people are arguing, well, they shouldn't have got that if they couldn't have afforded it. And to that, I would say, well, what if, you know, there was a, a communication error in that, you know, English is not their first language right. and they're being, it's suggested by a doctor. Would you really question a doctor if you were enough pain? Wouldn't you just get it anyway? You know, there was like a lot of that. Yeah. And so it was just like a lot of back and forth. And like you said, it's, it's tough because people have their own, their own, uh, you know, philosophies and standards and, you know, how do you, it was really hard to come to a conclusion. And I felt that this movie perfectly exemplified that, oh, that yeah. struggle, like really, really well. And um, I guess, you know, kind of getting back to the film, uh, the director, Sidney Lumet, uh, this is his di directorial, directorial debut, right? Like That's this is his first correct. film. Yeah. It's his yeah. first film and really remarkable when you think about it. Cause it's pretty, yeah. it, it's, it's a bad, I mean, I think it's a masterpiece, but that's, that's just kind of me and I think my background. So, um, yeah, upon seeing that and then reading that nugget, like that, that was his directorial debut. You're like, that's incredible. <laughs> how does it really like, is. how do people pull that off? It's so crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had kind of mentioned about his rigorous, uh, his rigorous schedule, but I, I did read that Lumet is often a favorite. He was a favorite director for actors because mm -hmm. he in, he was encouraging that creative collaborative process with his stars. You know, it wasn't like he just told them, you know, this is what you're going to do. End of story. It's like he wanted their feedback and for them to be a part of it. And I, I think that really comes through in this movie because, yeah. um, you know, in terms of the, the time that this movie came out, I was shocked by how, real it felt you know how yeah um it didn't seem like necessarily like play acting you know what i mean theatrical acting it felt very very personal in your face and it it felt like every actor was bringing an element of themselves into that character like in a very strong way very much so and yeah and i i feel like that has to come from the director really trusting the actor and wanting them to bring themselves into it as well. Right. Instead of just taking direction. Yeah. Right. And I think a big part of that plays into, you know, again, speaking to the rehearsal process of being in a room with your, your co-stars um, for a, that extended period of time, you get to be in that physicality of your characters in, around each and every one of your characters. So, you know, who you can bully, you know, who you can be a little bit louder to, you know, who's going to, you could be, you're going to be a little bit more apprehensive around who might have this stark remark here, who, you know, um, mm -hmm. how people are going to move in the room, you know, their subtle little nuances of like, of, you know, how they speak. You could tell when they're starting to get ticked off, like juror number three does this like cool thing where when he starts to get a little ruckusy, a little loud, he starts to like, he clenches left eye and you see like the one side of his lip kind of closes off and the other side opens up and he kind of projects out of the side of his face more and he does anything. And it's, it's really cool to see those little nuances sort of come into effect and, and really play out. You can tell it was, um, they had a, a lot of chemistry as a cast for sure. Yeah. And another thing I, I had a, 
a quote from the director that said, uh, I shot the first third of the movie above eye level, uh, shot the second third at eye level, and the last third from below eye level. Wow. And that way, toward the end, the ceiling began to appear. Not only were the walls closing in, the ceiling as well, and the sense of increasing claustrophobia did a lot to raise the tension of the last part of the movie. Uh, in the film's last shot, uh, he observes he used a wide-angle lens uh, in his words, to let us finally breathe. Yeah. You get that and, feeling. And I, you really do. Like when he walks mm-hmm. out of the courtroom and the, there's the stairs and, you know, you see everybody kind of lead out onto the stairs. You're like, wow, that was heavy. <laughs> now it's, yeah. it's a little bit lighter here, a little bit lighter in the room. So, And this is like, I think for me, where it being a film has the greatest impact on the story that you can't really do with just a play because the way that it's shot is so intentional. Um, And I really got that feeling watching it. I noticed that, that as the movie went on, there's tighter and tighter shots, more and more close-ups. Like in the beginning, they're kind of showing you from far away how crowded and hot it is. And then as it gets closer and closer and closer, it gets so intense because you're seeing every emotion on, you know, each actor's face Mm -hmm. and it just heightens the tension. And so reading that, you know, that didn't surprise me, but it it does make me kind of want to go back and like watch it again with that thought in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like when you say that, you think of little things like when the rain decides that it's going to kick in, you know, then they shut the door, they shut the windows. And that's sort of when things sort of heat up a little bit in the arguments Mm -hmm. and um, just subtle little Things like that that you're like makes you kind of want to you know do the Italian the Italian kiss of the fingers like the moi. <laughs> it's just like definitely perfect. You know, it's a nice little little button up on there. And there's one moment too in, in one of the scenes in particular when um, the guy with the glasses is trying to make a point and his point gets kind of turned on him and you just see this like beat of sweat. Like he hasn't been sweating the entire time. He says, you know, I don't sweat. That's right. And you That's see right. it sort of drip down his head and you're like, whoo. Okay, yeah, yeah, he's sweating. I'm sweating now. Like you know, makes you makes you really think, and um, those sorts of little things. You're like, and then when you hear about how short the shoot was, it was 18 days or something like that. You're like, oh my god, oh, that's wow. crazy. Yeah, it, I mean, absolutely phenomenal work by all people involved in in making of the film. So. It's amazing what you can do on a small budget sometimes with oh, you yeah. know little space to work with. I mean, in a way, the the script is perfect for a directorial debut, but it's it's just so much more impressive than what you would expect it to be, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Lume, he was also nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director for 12 Angry Men, which is also pretty crazy, it being his first movie, as well as Dog Day Afternoon, uh, 1975, Network in 1976, and The Verdict in 1982, but he never won. Wow. Yeah. I I think that kind of puts it into perspective though, sometimes when, you know, we're all kind of like up in arms when our favorite directors don't win, but you know, that happens. Like it uh, it just depends on the other movies that year and, and, and how people receive the film at the time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And this film was like, it it was, it's interesting because another quick little tidbit was font, um, Fonda was actually a producer on the film, and, and it was, I think it's yeah. the only time he ever produced a film. He hated it so much. But <laughs> they knew that after um, the film was made that they kind of had a hit on their hands, and it wasn't really being marketed all that well. And they were like, that's totally right. fine. Let it be a surprise hit. You know, Let it get around from word of mouth. When people see it, they'll want to come in and storm. But instead, um, the execs really liked it, and they were like, this is going to blow everybody out of the water. 
they went to have this really crazy premiere and pretty much it just it didn't bomb but like only the first four rows were sold out so it's uh <laughs> not not great but uh they wound up recouping i guess the cost of what it was to make the film i think they said they wound up making a million dollars on it which at the time mm-hmm. is I, I mean not too shabby i think it's they said it's like 16 million um right was what the equivalent would be today but um yeah it wasn't necessarily received all that well it, it did start to get better um received better once it started appearing on television mm-hmm. that's not really surprising to me no. because i i mean just given the plot and the subject matter it's I think it appeals to specific crowd, you know, and yeah, definitely to people that are interested in 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 uh, in the justice system, but also in in filmmaking and character acting and, and things like that. I think it's it's pretty aimed at that group, um, but it's also a reminder that you know just because a movie doesn't blow away at the box office and quote unquote bombs, like that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. And I, right. I feel like these days we're so focused on how much movies are making at the box office. And, you know, it, it, on some level, rightfully so, they, they do need to be, uh, you know, lucrative <laughs> on right. some level. But but at the same time, I think sometimes that leads us away from films that we would otherwise watch. Right. And, and this is a classic example. I mean, I can't tell you how many movies we've talked about on this podcast that have a similar story that was not marketed well, that didn't do well, but they're great films nonetheless. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time and perspective, I think, for for general audiences to see that, yeah, um, you know, and critics change their mind as, as time evolves. I'm sure the critics loved this at the time, probably, right? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure yeah. it was yeah. critically uh, well received. I just don't think that many people really rushed out to go and see it, especially because at the time too, it was like when color was just starting to get, you know, play a big role in films and um the whole big grandiose sort of, you know, picturesque films were coming out. And so for this one to be as, like you said, you know, set in a courtroom for the most part, with the exception of three minutes, it's, um, you know, and with it not being necessarily in a courtroom, more being behind the scenes of what the jury is actually deliberating. It's like, you know, that's kind of a tough sell, but um, definitely a wonderful job with it. I mean, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be here, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, crazy yeah i mean it kind of reminds me of i remember when uh um the social network came out and that movie's just about facebook and the majority of the movie is just in a room talking about it with lawyers and uh you know like that did not appeal to me A, a movie about facebook didn't appeal to me right and the idea of spending that much time just watching people talk yeah. but it was so good <laughs> yeah. i loved it and you know i kind of i kind of thought about that a little bit when i watched this it's it's just such i don't know it, it kind of hits all the right nerves for me um i'm very interested in the subject matter of the film and what it's examining yep. and then you know i just i love that half the cast or most of the cast and we'll we'll dive into that a little bit too is they're all like character actors you know and yeah. you can really they kind of have to be because all the jurors have to be so different and you know you want to see them play off each other and this is like where they all kind of get to shine and i love that too because i'm 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 just such a fan usually of character actors. So it's kind of cool to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And they all have their moments, which is wonderful. And and one of the things mm-hmm. that it sort of reminds me of a lot of actually, and we'll kind of get into it a little bit later is uh, the Twilight Zone. This is like, that's my favorite television yeah. show of all time. And I have like a very 
like I start this film and it very much is like I could hear Rod Serling almost like, you know, narrating the introduction to the film as it's happening. Totally. And um, it's just got that feel. And I think that for me, it's I actually noticed and pointed out there's four of the actors from this cast or have appeared in the Twilight Zone series, which is pretty cool. So that's really um, cool. Yeah, I noticed a couple of them, one of them from one of my favorite episodes. And um, I was just like, you know, it's so cool to see. And it, I just, I don't know. I think that there's something about the the way, I, I don't know if it's the cinematography, if it's just the character actors like you were talking about. There's just something about the way that those, even those 20 minute episodes were um, brought to life by all those amazing actors. I feel like the Twilight Zone's full of, you know, chock full of amazing actors that it's tough to for them to get really any big, big roles. But I feel like they shine definitely in this movie for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think another thing that reminds me about The Twilight Zone when it comes to this movie that I noticed right away is it feels very timeless in that their performances, I mean, of course, they're still going to sound a little bit like they're from the 50s. Right. But I was shocked by by the dialogue and just like, I, yeah. I guess, just how how current it felt. I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this too, but I mean, the entire movie, uh, the plot, you could literally remake the same movie today. I think even with the same script. Yeah, I think you could. And it would not seem like it was from the fifties. I mean, it would just feel relevant to today because I think we're dealing with all the same social issues today. I just, I was really shocked by how, like how similar it was to like things that we, that we go through right now. And, and I think that that's something that the twilight zone was always really, really, um, you know, on the forefront of it was, kind of ahead of its time of, in that way. Yeah, and and a lot of social political commentary oh, yeah. that that ages well, you know, because it's like it, there are things that we struggle with and things that stay relevant and I really noticed that in this film. So I I would say that, you know, I'll probably talk about that again at the end when we recommend it to people, but I, I was surprised by that and, you know, I I know there's there's younger probably listeners out there that think like, "Oh, I don't really like old movies." Like I feel like this is a movie where you don't feel that at all. Like no. I, I don't feel like it's from the the fifties necessarily. Of course, that wouldn't be a negative for me, but just for people that don't typically watch black and white films, I think they really need to give this one a shot. Yeah, I think they'd be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. I think very well put. <laughs> it's very eloquently put. So, um, yeah, no, I agree with that one hundred percent. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and start diving into the plot, the sure. the, the juicy part of the episode. Um, do you want to go ahead and kind of just introduce it and start it off? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it starts out in the courtroom. Um, you hear by a very unamused judge that, uh, you know, please, you know, there's this 17-year-old um, who's accused of murdering his father. And um, there's allegedly all these eyewitness accounts and this evidence that's stacked against him. Um, and this jury has to go in and essentially, you know, uh, see whether or not they think he's guilty or not guilty. Um, we open up in a courtroom, which is, I, I love the set for this. I think it's very simplistic yet. There's just enough there to kind of keep your eye wandering a little bit when you're watching them. Like if they're fiddling with pencils or newspapers, like what's on the newspapers and, um, sort of looking all over the place and 
everybody in the room pretty much is in there to get out of there. And right. um, with the exception of one. So they say, you know what, let's take a verdict of let's see who's guilty, not guilty. Let's show by a, you know, a show of hands. And I thought it was really well done uh, by Lume, how he, he goes around and he shows the individual, you know, guilty, not guilty. And you see everybody's hands and the guilty hands rise up. And then when the not guilty, you just see the lone sort of hand kind of come up. And that's where um, juror number eight, played by Henry Fonda, sort of comes in. And I think the way he leads off his counter argument is probably one of the best ways you could lead a counter argument where he goes, look, I think that there's reasonable, like, I just don't know that he's guilty because they're pretty much like everybody in there is ready to just, you know, yeah, I saw this evidence and they're guilty. And Henry Fonda's just like, you know, I don't know that I'm not convinced of it. I'd like to go over it and to have the gall to say that, first of all, like you were talking about earlier in a room full of contentious, um, personalities i guess you could say because there's all types of personalities and uh that room is absolutely commendable so um they then have to get down to the nitty-gritty of why he thinks he might not be guilty um and i i guess the real big thing here is do we want to start describing maybe some of the other jurors in the room or do you want to kind of go down the plot line a little bit further as to you know, them start talking about the knife and the evidence and all that good stuff. Well, I was going to back up just a couple minutes to the first scene uh, where we see the accused. Um, And, you know, one thing to point out in this film, uh, the boy looks like he is probably ethnic, but it is never said what his ethnicity is ever. Um, It's alluded to the fact that he is and that, and also that he's from a slum area. Correct. Um, and I thought like leaving out that detail is brilliant because I think, you know, stereotypes and, and racial things like that, you know, racial, I guess, discrimination, that's never probably going to go away, unfortunately. And right. I think that's something that keeps it timeless. And yeah. I think it also, um, the way they describe the evidence in the beginning, uh, when the jurors are, are kind of talking about, um, cause I think that's in the beginning, right. They, they make it seem very matter of fact, uh, yeah, that, people heard him do it, you know, correct. things like that. Go yeah, ahead. The lady yeah. saw him cross the railroad tracks through the L train, the neighbor downstairs heard him. He saw the boy, you know, said, heard him say, I'm going to kill you. Heard him stab his father. He fell to the ground, ran outside. And it's very matter of fact, everybody saw him do it. And the police wound up catching him at his home later on when he went back to, quote unquote, retrieve the knife. Um, And that's pretty much how they put it. And they're like, yeah, so why tell us why he's innocent. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And and, uh, so, so you're right. I think Henry Fonda in that moment, you know, standing up and saying, well, you know, actually, uh, all that sounds right, right, but it doesn't actually prove he killed him. And I think that that, you know, that's that's a big part of this movie is that um, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think that really struck a chord with me because I, I've kind of mentioned on some other podcasts, I'm like pretty obsessed with uh, true crime podcasts and I listen to... <laughs> 
<laughs> I listen to a lot of them and they'll talk about, I, there was one, oh man, I forgot to write it down, but there was, there was a case that I listened to oh, um, like a couple days ago. It, it might've been on Generation Y, but you know, it, it was a case of a woman that got into an argument with her boyfriend. A lot of people were out drinking. She disappears. Next day, she her body's found. Oh, man. And man, everything pointed to her boyfriend. I mean, it, I was convinced. I mean, most of the time, it is the boyfriend. You know, right. it is the per- the people closest to that person. But it, but it wasn't. Okay. Oh, like, no. if you listen to the episode, it was not. And it was like some random... Oh extra person and if it hadn't been for like gps and cell phones like they would have never caught him i mean it is insane so it's like you know that's true it it can seem like someone's guilty and they might be guilty right but can you put someone away based on thinking that um right even back when i was talking about earlier just being in that that you know on the jury um that's what I kept thinking was like, oh, yeah, these people could be lying. That's possible. Right. But how do we prove that? How do we prove they're lying? And if, you know, to assume someone's lying and, and punish them is wrong, I thought. So, yeah. like, you know, I, I needed to see proof that they're lying and I never saw that. So, yeah, they could be abusing the system or whatever, but you just can't operate based on that assumption. And in this case, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of stacked up against this kid. He lives in a bad area. Right. He had a knife already. Correct. It seemed like he had a little bit of a history of possibly being violent. Um, and and his father was abusive. That that seemed to be put out there pretty quick too. Right. So really, I mean, it did point to him doing it, but it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Correct. Um, you know, and and I think it, it's different than the court of public opinion. You know, people can have opinions or assumptions or, or take a stance. I mean, I know I've done that, but when it comes to being in a courtroom and and putting someone away, and in this case, putting someone to death, like it definitely needs to be. I mean, that's what he says. He goes, I actually think he he probably did do it, but we need to sit here and and talk about it at least. Like, right. what does he say for five minutes for some amount of time? Because, you know, otherwise we're putting him to death and we, I mean, how can we feel good about doing yeah. that? Not having at least talked about yeah, it. Yeah, you're literally ending somebody's life without having discussed, you know, the possibility of their innocence. It's really, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but you guys are in here, you know, saying he's guilty and- we don't not even going to talk about his innocence. It's just wrong. And I think, right. that you know, it's, I think that's something that people still struggle with today. <laughs> it's very unfortunate, sure. but um, it happens, you know, and especially uh, I actually grew up in a law enforcement family. Like my dad was a police officer. My grandfather was one, my uncle's one all served in the military, like just growing up around law enforcement and stuff, my, the judicial system and all that my entire life. And I, I, know that there are good people out there, but there's also a lot of bad people out there and it's unfortunate and it's very sad, but, um, sometimes people don't, they don't get fair treatment. It's not sometimes it's a lot of times people don't get fair treatment and, um, a lot of things and a lot of assumptions are made and, you know, made to look a certain way some of the times as well, which is something that we can't really forget and something that, um, Henry Fonda proves pretty early on in this movie, I think kind of bringing it full circle when, um, when everybody starts, when they first come to the first piece of evidence that he wants to discuss, which is the knife. Um, he ends that pretty quickly, at least in my opinion, when he pulls out the one. Um, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I, I guess that'd be kind of a 
good place to jump sure, in there. It's yeah, really the first kind of point where you're like, oh, okay, there's definitely a little more something here than um, you know what we've gotten so far. When he uh, they're talking about um, how the knife is a very particular knife, how it's sort of curved on uh, the blade, but it's also got a swift handle and it's a switch blade. It's a switch knife, which winds up becoming an important part later on down the line as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, you know, where can you get this? You know, you, you can't get these anywhere. These knives are hard to get or whatever. And so Henry Fonda's like, I went down to this guy's street right across the right across the street from where he lived, went, you know, picked this up. And they're, I think it's funny because they're like, you broke the, you broke the law. You know, <laughs> it's, it's illegal to buy those. And he goes, yeah, I broke the, I broke the law, but you know, I'm making a point. And so when he brings out the knife, I think that, you know, and then they bring in the original, they're like, oh my God, it looks just like it. I think it's a huge sort of point to at least in his mind. And and we get that afterwards because as we'll sort of talk about, there's m- numerous revotes um, throughout this entire movie. And that's sort of the first one where he casts that little shade of doubt in your mind. And because then everybody's sort of sitting there and they're sort of looking at it and, you know, and he's like, yeah, but that doesn't prove anything. So what, you can buy a knife near his house. What else can you prove? It doesn't really prove a darn thing. And he goes, all right, well, if this doesn't prove anything, you know, and you guys, let's take a revote. If you guys vote to 11 to one or um, I'll abstain. If all four of you, if all 11 of you vote guilty, then um, we'll vote guilty. And I love that he kind of puts it up to chance. Um, yeah. And it's just like, you know, he's planted that little nugget and he's just kind of like, please, somebody let me know that there's a good person in here. Um, It's kind of what I took away from it. And he's like, you know, I know that there's a lot of these guys might not seem like the greatest people on the surface, but, you know, somebody in here might be a good person. I'm trying to find out who that is. And um, I think that that's a, a kind of a great way for him to do it. And luckily it winds up working out in his favor. Right. You know, I mean, I will say I've never looked forward to being to, to serving on a jury. I never wanted to be called. Right. And I, I have I have been called a couple of times. And I've only served once. But as much as I claim to, to love this kind of thing, I don't want to be on the jury. Right. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to not wanting necessarily to be in that room. Um, I think, you know, a murder trial is something most people don't want to be called for. I mean, for a variety of reasons, including not wanting to to hear about all those gory details and have to go through all the evidence, and you know, right. knowing that it's probably going to be a long trial. Um, and then in, in the beginning, it does seem, I mean, how do you think you felt the first time watching it? Did you feel like the kid was guilty in the beginning? Like, were you with the other juries or were you always with Henry Fonda from the get go? I felt like I was like, there's just not enough. I haven't heard anything for me to say like this kid's guilty when they lay it sort of all out there. They're like, well, this is what happened. And like this person saw this and this person saw that you're kind of like leaning towards like, all right, well, you know, it sort of sounds that way, but we haven't even like, I didn't hear the evidence. I didn't see them take the stand. You know, I didn't see them quest cross interrogate anybody. That's like, a good point. So I guess I sort of thought about it from that perspective. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, they were given those facts, but in what context? And I, I guess I'm sort of like to have that behind me. I don't want to say that I was always with juror number eight. It's kind of on the fence either way, but it's just like once he says, you know, if you don't have a reasonable, you know, if you think he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, then vote guilty. But if not, right. You can't 
quote-unquote guilty. And that's where it's. I was kind of like, okay, well then, I guess I can until we go over all this stuff. And then turns out, you know, sitting on the fence worked in my favor, I guess. But right, uh, yeah. it's, it's always tough from that perspective because you're like – and I think that that's one thing that sort of is the, builds suspense too is that like juror number three – um, Lee J. Cobb, who's phenomenal in this movie, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, he's he's amazing. When, I loved him in this. Yeah, when he keeps pointing out the evidence, it's like he's yelling at you, and he's like, "Well, they said this, and they kept going over this, and we went over this already." And like, I keep thinking in my head, and I'm like, "But I didn't get to go over it with you guys already." Like, I'm kind of glad that you don't see <laughs> that side of it because then you can't. You have to sort of make the judgment based off of what they're telling you, and exactly, you know, yeah, you have to see it from their perspective instead of your perspective, right? And, good point. and like I can give I can understand like at certain points why they get frustrated because he's just like, let's go over it again. And they're like, we've been over it already. We were in court we're like we did this, that and other thing. And, you know, it just wasn't. And I'm sure you've run into these sorts of people and you're like very stubborn, you know, <laughs> like just don't listen <laughs> at all. It doesn't, it's regardless of what anybody, you know, advice or whatever people might give them. It just sometimes doesn't click home for some. But, um, yeah, I, I think that. With that con, without having that context, it's, um, it that's like the, a great position I think for the reader and the viewer to be in if you're reading the screenplay or if you're you're viewing the movie because you kind of you have to make that choice, um, or you can think yeah, about like you know if that were me, what choice would I make you know and really kind of question who you are kind of at your heart. Right. I mean, you know, I guess for me, seeing it. Uh, recently i thought that the kids seemed very guilty yeah i did think that um and i think objectively like if i heard this case like if i just if it wasn't a movie if i read a headline and and read a few paragraphs i would probably assume he was guilty uh but it's a totally different thing to be on the jury and making a decision that's life or death and and i think you're right i hadn't thought of it that way but you're 100 percent right by not seeing the courtroom aspect of it, you're having to decide whose perspective is correct. And they all saw and heard the same things, but they all saw and heard something different too, in a way. Um, You mentioned Lee J. Cobb. You know, uh, I read that the part of Willie uh, Loman in the stage play, Death of a Salesman, was actually written specifically for him by Arthur Miller. And I think that's such a cool fact. I mean, his performance is so good. I love Death of a Salesman too. I didn't know that that's... That's incredible. It's a fun little yeah, I, nugget. Yeah, for sure. I thought, um, yeah, it, it was just really interesting. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. He's uh, he's the loudest in the room, and it's kind of like, or he's one of the loud ones. Um, and he I, sometimes I feel like he's the audience, you know, just getting frustrated, yeah. or or you know, you're I guess you're every man that's just kind of like, come on, this guy's guilty, right. you know why are we arguing about this? He's clearly guilty. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he does that part so well. And, you know, the, the, the script does such a good job of like examining every single angle and it's kind of frustrating. And I think at some points you're like thinking, well, how do we know if anybody's ever guilty then? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good point. <laughs> In this situation, I think maybe you just, you don't know, yeah. you know, and, and there's a lot of cases that, that I've been really interested in and I've listened to. And at the end of it, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've come to the same conclusion. I'm like, it definitely seems like that guy probably did right. it, but I don't know. And so, you know, we, if we believe that 
yeah, the justice system is definitely not perfect and there's things that need to be fixed, but the idea of it being innocent until proven guilty, I agree with that. And so I'm going to have to say, I don't know. And so like, I just really like the way that this movie examines that because I I don't know, maybe this is just an assumption. I feel like a lot of people think that they know for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're just kind of like, well, I would know what to do and I would vote correctly. And, you know, and I, and I know what, what happened. Right. But I think this movie does a great job of completely deconstructing that and, and breaking that logic apart. And, and I really appreciate that about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one point that sort of, um, you know, drives that home, um, you know, is there's one point in the movie where it does sort of make you think because they reiterate and they're asked when, um, spoilers, if you guys haven't seen the movie already, they get to uh, <laughs> the three left that are, voting guilty um and they ask okay well why and he goes well it's the eyewitness testimony that like because you forget about it like they mention it and they list it sort of in the beginning of what all this evidence is and then once they start going through the evidence you sort of start to forget a little bit about the eyewitness testimonies until juror number Mm -hmm. what is it four ej marshall the guy with the glasses um says he goes you know there's one thing for me though it's the eyewitness testimony of the female across the street and the gentleman um, it's mainly the female across the street. And you're like, damn, he's right. Like there's that lady that saw this all happen. Like I completely forgot about that. Right. I remember watching it going through it. And I'm like, Oh shit. That's right. Like there's this lady that saw this kid do this. Like maybe I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, to myself, maybe I'm the, like, now I'm starting to rethink. Like you're starting to sweat a little. You're like, Oh boy. Like this first time I reading it, like I remember that and I'm just like, all right, well, maybe he's maybe he is guilty. You know, you don't you don't know that until they make the point about until I think my favorite guy is I from Henry Fonda, juror number nine, Joseph Sweeney, the old man looks like a turtle. Um, he's <laughs> uh, I think my favorite one comes in with the points about the marks of the glasses. But you're right in that. That's a great, you know, thing. many people think that it's that they would know what to do. And it's like, yeah, but you don't. Cause then somebody else brings that back up and it's like juror number 12, I think who flip flops back and forth. He's going back and forth. And back and forth. Yeah. The, the sales yeah. guy. And you're like, yeah, man, I feel, I feel him on that one a little bit, but. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh. You can understand how he's swayed for sure. And, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, sometimes details can sound ironclad, right. especially because the, the prosecution is making them seem that right. way. You know, and intentionally sometimes leaving out details that that could be, you know, have something. I mean, they're trying to win. And so, like, there is a possibility of poking holes in their defense. But, you know, Henry Fonda has a great point in the movie and something, again, that I think is pretty forward thinking. He says, well, you know, I don't really like the lawyers this kid had. Right. I don't feel like they believed he was innocent. I don't feel like they were on his side uh, they there were plenty of times they could have pointed stuff out that was incorrect and uh you know henry fonda's character is not a lawyer he's an architect right. he's just like a regular guy but he's he's seeing where these holes are and um and pointing them out um and, and you were talking about that scene with eg marshall the one where he's he's finally turns the guy with the yeah. glasses i really liked him because i felt like he truly like he was a good guy right. like yeah he wasn't like very simp- like empathetic but he he was trying to do what was right. right and and that was just something he couldn't let go of was eyewitness testimony which 
another area where this movie's kind of forward thinking in that now I'm, you know, if uh, you may have heard this fact that like eyewitness testimony is actually not very reliable. I mean, in court, right. it's treated as like the, the, the best, the highest possible form of evidence. But in reality, memory is very unreliable. Like they've done studies where, you know, they ask somebody what color a car was and they'll say the wrong color. Or um, there was a study where they showed people pictures that they were Photoshopped into. And they were like, do you remember this day? Right. <laughs> like an old memory. And they would go, yeah, yeah, I do. And they'd say, okay, well, it's not real. And it's not that the people are lying, but it's that your memory is not that right. reliable. So even though we put so much focus on that being our strongest evidence, you know, Henry Fonda's character is pointing out why it's so unreliable, why, how there's holes in that as well. I mean, if we're going to pick apart this kid's testimony and say there's holes in his memory, well, there's holes in the memory of the people that are accusing him as well. So I thought that was really, really cool. I I really like that. I I feel like I haven't seen that a lot in movies like portrayed that way. It's a really good point. It is very much so. And it's something that, you know, when they talk about it, you're like, oh, my God, because you know that people still do that. to Lawyers do that today, too. They get a case they don't want. They don't fight that hard for it. It's over. They don't really care if they lose. They know, like, they could always use on their record, hey, you know, that was a lose, you know, that was a lose-lose case anyway. You know, there was no chance I was going to win it. And you're just like, man, it just makes you makes you think, you know, like, what if – some sort of crazy mm-hmm. circumstance ever happened to me in which like, you know, something were to be blamed upon me that, you know, you were innocent for, and then you had to go through the system yourself. You know, it's like. Right. And the evidence is yeah, so flimsy. And it's just like, you you're know? trying to be heard. And by the time, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but often if you're accused of something or um, doesn't, it, regardless of what it is, there are going to be people who are going to believe that you did it regardless of if you did or you didn't. And there are going to be people who are going to, ride it out with you through the end and come up with it once they hear the final verdict. But oftentimes, you know, there's that stigma with you. If you've, you know, even if you are innocent, that's la you know, that lasts with you through the whole rest of your life. So. Right. And add to that being a scared kid, you know, exactly. Like, who's a minority who yeah. doesn't have a chance, you know, like yeah. it's just, it's just crazy. They were all thinking about just, ending his life like when you when they put it that way you know sometimes things have to be put in pretty blunt terms i feel like for people to sort of pick up on and that's definitely one of them where it's just like okay well either we help this kid out or we send him to the chair we're his literally his executioner and that that's a word that's thrown up multiple times in this movie like what is your personal vendetta against this kid why do you want to be his executioner do you want to be his executioner do you want to pull the switch and like lee j cobb does occasionally where he's like yeah yeah i do i want to be the one that pulls us you know these darn kids you know you work what's he say you work all your life out and they just you know it's 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 insane i you know you start thinking about it and you're like man because you you feel for him a little bit but by the same token you're also like dude you're 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 i don't know if you're a good guy if you're a bad you're a bad guy but you've also been through a lot with your son and personal and you know that's where it's trying to take the personal biases out of it and especially after juror 10 gets up and he's like you know them i don't get why we're still arguing about this you know them people you know you know what they're all about and everybody i thought that that was i think that's one of my favorite scenes too is when everybody individually sort of gets up one by one and they just like like take their power away from him Mm -hmm. yeah they take his power away from him and the only person that's left sitting there is ej Marshall, uh, E.G. Marshall, sorry, 
juror number four, who's uh, just says now, you know, sit up or shut up, sit down and don't open your mouth ever again. And he doesn't, I don't think throughout the the whole rest of the, yeah. Yeah. He was loud. Yeah. Powerful. No, no, I agree. That was a lot of great moments in here. So. Yeah. Uh, When you were talking about, uh, Lee uh, Jacob, the part where when he's um, saying, you know, kids these days, I mean, how many times do we hear that now? Right. It's funny how that never changes. And when kids or or a young person commits a crime, that's something that we go to. Well, it's this generation's problem. Um, This is something that kids are just now doing. They're just now being violent. And, you know, uh, that's it's not our fault. It's it's how they're all turning out. And it's like, again, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's kind of a dismissive excuse and a way of just like not really looking any further. I I think sometimes people, it's not necessarily that they, um, I don't know how to put this, their motive isn't necessarily bad, but it's easier to believe that things are black and white. You know, it's more comforting to think that there's some specific reason for why everything is happening. Right. Because if not, you know, like in this case, when, um, when Henry Fonda keeps pulling out all these doubts and different ideas, it's so frustrating to some of the jurors, not just because they want to get out of there. I mean, they do not just because they have their preconceived notions. They do, but also because it's just frustrating. I mean, it's like, right. well, if that's the case, then, you know, that that's hard for people to accept that it may not be straightforward answer, you know? Right. It's like, cause you know, while they're also being then accused of having a sort of a one track mind towards, making him, you know, accusing him of being guilty. It's like they then sort of accuse Henry Fonda of having this one track mind of him being innocent. And it's like, we were given all this evidence and that's the thing that they go off of whether or not that's their actual, what they believe or if uh, they have other intentions behind it. That's what they keep telling them. Like, look, we are giving all this evidence. Where are you coming up with this crazy ideas that, you know, wouldn't necessarily hold up like the one thing, and they have two really good arguments for it, which I guess would be the the female and the the old man with the limp, where it's like you, you those are two things that are so pivotal that you, you mm-hmm. don't really know either way. You kind of have an idea. I mean, if she's sleeping and you know, who wears glasses when they're sleeping, but you know, and who sometimes she couldn't. She yeah, I mean I've I've, I've fallen asleep taking a nap before with wearing my glasses and it's like I've woken up and had them on and been like, Whoa. You know? Right, or something startles you, and so you put them on and take a look. I mean, she could have. She could have, so, which is all I think makes it – it's part of what makes this so great. It's like uh, – it kind of leaves you wondering. Like you have to pick a side. You have to say, is that like – you know, is you, you don't know. There's that possibility that's out there. But like you said, I think that that's sort of where some people start to get a little frustrated after a little bit. They're like, there are just so many different ways it could go. I don't know which way to pick, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's tough, but – um, I think that's the one thing that this movie does really well is it argues both sides up until a certain point. And then sure. once the other side sort of turns, then the tide turns against the guilty side. Um, and that's when the personal enemies start coming up. But I think for a long time, it, it does run that balance of, look, he's there's still things that point out that he's guilty. And then there are things that point that he might be innocent. So I think that that's the one thing that this movie does really well is it it treads that line up until it's not supposed to anymore. And you're supposed to sort of get an idea of who these characters are and why their motives are what they are. And I think that that's, yeah. um, you know, when they come out is very appropriate too. 
and this movie just flies by. It feels like it's like a 30 minute episode, like again at the Twilight Zone, but it really is. It's an hour and a half and it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's just, it's so intense, you know, the whole time. uh, They keep calling Henry Fonda the whole time a bleeding heart. You know, they keep saying that uh, the whole movie. Oh, you're just, you know, you're on his side. And it's funny, he keeps like listening to them. A a lot of times he'll just stand there and listen and not say anything. Yeah. um, And just sort of take it in and then react to it. Um, I I thought, you know, when I was reading about Henry Fonda and that he had done a lot of Westerns, I guess it's something that I didn't know yeah before watching this so i thought yeah i could definitely see that he has that sort of like cowboy calm demeanor to him right um and uh and i think the the way he keeps reiterating over and over again he keeps saying no it's not that i think he's innocent it's that i don't know that he's guilty and it's funny how it's like some of the jurors um have this idea in their head that if if you are sympathetic at all then you're a bleeding heart. Then you're, you know, that he must be campaigning for people that, right. um, uh, that are either like uh, campaigning for people that are from the slums, or oh, you're you just think they're all innocent. You know what I mean? Like they right. keep bringing it up. He keeps bringing back around and saying, "No, I'm trying to remove both of those ideas from it." Correct. You know, does this make him innocent? Does it make him guilty? Is he or is he not? Not based on the facts right and he keeps bringing up specific facts he doesn't make a lot of impassioned pleas for the boy's character very often it is mostly just detailed facts about the case that he brings up and i think that's interesting because i feel like the other characters seem to always go back to that emotional part and he he keeps up bringing a non-emotional part right he's one of the least emotional people in the room you know he is. He's very. He's very stoic in a way, and I think that it finally gets through. Um, at one point, it just shows you other people in the room are starting to pick up on it. When um, the comedian of the group, who is a juror number seven, Jack Warden, um, who just has the mm-hmm. wisecracks, he's trying to get to the baseball game, and they change. He changes his vote, and he's like, ah, "Not guilty." And then I love when juror number eleven, um, George Voskovec. Uh, gets up and uh-huh. he goes, why did you change your vote? And he's like, look, buddy, I don't got to tell you anything why I changed my vote. And he's like, no, like, tell me, why did you change your vote? Like, you either, are, are you that gutless? Are you that gutless of a man? Like, you can't pick and choose a side. Like, if you think he's guilty, think vote guilty and give us a, a reason why you think he's guilty. But if you think he's innocent, then, or not guilty, then give us a reason why you think that he's not guilty. Like, don't just right. flip flop for the sake of flip flopping and, and getting out of here. Um, you know, stand and, and, you know, stand your ground and fight for your, your beliefs. And that's something that I thought was really wonderful coming from juror number 11 too. Cause you almost wonder with his background, you know, was he picked on too, uh, you yeah. know, and for him to be able to, to say that and to have that say it's a big character moment for him that I, I really enjoy uh, when he when he confronts him and um, something that I think that you want to hear from the other side for so long <laughs> or just like in general. It's just right. like you want somebody to pick. Right. It's like if you don't think that they're if you think he's not guilty, then tell us why you think he's not guilty. If you think he's guilty, then tell us why he's guilty. We're not going to be mad either way. Just if you give us a valid point, then that's what we're, you know, basing all this on. And it's yeah. it's just you know, it's a, a great moment, in my opinion, a great moment of uh, confrontation, but also of 
saying, look, we're trying to find a solution. Pick us like you have to choose based off of and give us a good reason why. Don't just pick and choose to teeter totter and get out of here and go to a baseball game. Right. And, uh, you know, George Voskovic, uh, he, he, yeah, they, they allude early on in the film, you know, and, and you could tell by his accent that he's from Europe. And so he's kind of the, one of the odd men out at him and the other guy that, um, Klugman's character. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, they're sort of the two that mm-hmm, they're sort of the two that are the odd people yeah. out. Right. And I think George Voskovic makes a point of saying that's what makes the justice system in this country right. so great. Like he's pointing out, I love it here, by the way. And just so you know, one of the great things about the justice system here is, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think he mentions like, we all have, you're being voted on by a jury of your peers. None of us ha- have anything to gain. I think he's the one that says that we don't have anything to gain from this guy being innocent right. or guilty. We're just, making a decision it's you know and um yeah i I read that he was uh from the theater and that he's a distinguished uh czech actor producer director and author um yeah um and because the whole movie i was kind of sort of just curious i was like oh his accent like i wonder where he's from um but yeah yeah you definitely get the sense that that he also faces some discrimination even in that room because it, it comes up a lot that like oh you know i think uh Lee Cobb's character says, you know, oh, you guys come over here and you think, you know, how we need to run everything. Like you're so eager to get here, but then you tell us what to do kind of attitude. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, And then Jack Warden, uh, his character, I really liked his character a lot. Like I know he's, he's one of the, you know, antagonists, but I like the way that he plays that character. Um, It's a slow build. Like you said earlier, you know, uh, Henry Fonda is constantly pointing out that he's trying to get to a baseball game and that it's pretty yeah. obvious that he, he he's checked out right away. You know, he, he just wants them to decide and get out of there. And um, I love the part too, where he asks, I think Henry Fonda, he's like, are you a salesman or something like in kind of a derogatory way? Right. And Henry Fonda's like, no, I'm an architect. And he goes, Oh, well I'm a salesman. And you're like, what? Yeah, you're like really good. <laughs> like that was a diss just a second ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, he. I think he did such a good job as that role. I, I had read that um, he's appeared in five films directed by Sidney Lumet. He was in, you know, this movie, yeah. also in uh, that kind of woman, Bye Bye Braverman, The Verdict, and Guilty as Sin. So yeah, he's just a good foil. Yeah. Like he's just a good person to play off of. And he's not really like evil. It's just that, you know, yeah, you're wondering how can someone be so checked out and, and just so nonchalant. But I think he kind of does represent the way a lot of people like make snap decisions. Right. You know, they're just kind of like, oh yeah, he's guilty. And then when you pick it apart, they're like, I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Because they don't, they're not really that invested. Yeah. And it's like, if this is a big deal, then you should be. And you're right, that that moment where he's really faced with, like, why did you decide? And he, he's sort of forced to stop checking right. out. Like, basically, they're like, we get it. You don't want to be here. None of us do. But you need to, you know, act like an adult here yeah. and, <laughs> and make a decision. And I, I think it is, like, a really good a good. Scene. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think his character is great, too, because it, it- – it, while it breaks a little bit of the tension, it also creates tension at the same time. So, like, you get a little bit of that comic relief here and there. Um, For and sure. Not just voice of like the everyman that's in there. It's not just a certain type of like you got a salesman, you got just you know this this tradesman, you got this architect, you got 
the the old guy. You got the sort of quiet guy. It's like, you know, he's he's sort of like the everyman, like, all right, yeah, let's sort of get in, get out, you know. He's the loud guy in like the restaurant that you're like, can you go just tell that guy to like sort of be quiet a little bit? He's kind of like disturbing everybody, but he's not really, you know, just kind of like, you know, ask him to keep it down a little. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, exactly. But he's still kind of like in a a weird way. Yeah, it's I think that that just is a a testament to him as an actor and um, really a testament to uh, the director for letting these actors play as much as they do with one another. and I think that that's very evident right. in the courtroom and sort of when they're going back and forth, like you could sort of hear the lines kind of go through. They don't really cut them off and you can sort of hear the tail end of like the insults when they're thrown here and there. And it's just, it's all really well put together and you could tell nothing feels forced. And I think that that's, that's a great, uh, um, a, a great tribute to, to the director. I agree. Well, what is the, let's see, let's, yeah, let's look through here and see what the next scene we should talk about. Maybe the, should we just talk about the conference, some of the confrontations between Lee Cobb and Henry Fonda? Um, Sure. Maybe the first one being where he points out, I'm going to kill you. That's. Oh, I love that scene so much. Yeah. Where he points it out to him and, you could see Henry find it like realizes he's irked him. He's hit a nerve when he starts talking about like the kids and his son and stuff like that. And, um, and Henry Fonda just kind of irks him a little bit, irks him a little bit, irks him a little bit to where he just snaps. He loses it. And it's just like, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And he's like, now you wouldn't really mean that. No, you wouldn't really kill me. Would you? And then everybody in there is kind of like, it's your first, like after the knife, it's kind of the first big, like, he's right. He could, anybody could say that. And that's um, right. something you don't really hear a whole lot of anymore. I feel like something I used to feel like I heard a lot as a kid, but I don't necessarily hear a lot anymore. Um, I don't think it carried this, the weight that it does now. Right. Like now it carries a lot of weight, but back then I think it was like more of like a phrase, but he does point out because you said it doesn't mean you're definitely going to do it. Right. You don't mean that, do you? And then he has to think, oh, I earlier I claimed he said he was going to do that. Right. Um, but that doesn't prove he did it. Yeah, exactly. And it's your first real moment of seeing, like, you see him sort of, like, look off to the side, Lee Cobb at this point, where he's kind of like, damn, he like, he, like, he got me on this point. But there's the one thing that I think they do well in is that if one side, I don't want to say they win the argument, but if one side makes a case, they kind of move on. Like, they don't just harp on that moment for a while. Um, You know how sometimes you can get stuck in a debate with somebody over some little point, and it might just be verbiage. You're both trying to say similar things, and it's just not getting conveyed to the person in the correct way. And it's just Mm -hmm. you harp on that point, and you harp on it. I think the one thing that this does really well, particularly in these sort of buildups and these confrontations between um, Lee Cobb and and Fonda, are it's – it reaches a certain point and either Fonda or Cobb make, make their point and the other kind of just bites their tongue and move on and moves on right. as opposed to just, you know, harping on that and getting lost in it, which I feel like is really easy to do when you're writing it. Cause you're like, there's so much good material here. We could have this argument where it's just like, no, they make their points and 
move on and it kind of keeps the it keeps the pacing going really well uh, in my opinion for as much as tense as the movie is to sort of have that pacing kind of keep it moving forward while still maintaining and and building the suspense and the tension is something to me that um they accomplished really well i agree and i and i also think of that moment um you know they don't know a lot about each other uh the jurors but Lee Jacob's character, he's revealed a lot about himself in that moment. And I think it's pretty embarrassing for him. He lost control. He um, reacted uh, like, like I said, like almost violently. And everyone saw that side of him. And now it's kind of like they see him different after that moment. And he knows it. And I think that's part of what shuts him up, too. It's just like he kind of showed his hand. Um, He's trying to hold back. He's got a bad poker face. <laughs> exactly. Like, and, and, and I think everyone is picking up on before he does that this is really about his relationship with his son. And it's like yeah. the horrifying thought of like, what if my kid did this to me? And like, we should put this kid away because, you know, he represents my son and my son might have done this, you know, I don't know. Right. But it's like he uh, he kind of showed his hand there and he he's not willing to admit it even to himself until the end. Right. Um, and we'll get to that that later but yeah no i agree too that that the movie does a good job of both characters make their points and then they move on thankfully you know i wish real life was like that <laughs> like you said always, uh, sometimes people just they have a hard time letting go of an idea yeah or a feeling instead of a fact um and i think everyone's guilty of that at some point some people more than others but um but the movie does a great job of moving from scene to scene and point to point really well yeah absolutely yeah. um Another moment, which I think was made a little bit more um, prevalent just because of what was going on and because of the altercation that we just talked about is when he picks up the knife and they're talking about the different ways that the, the father was stabbed, whether it was like the downward direction. And then you have um, Jack Klugman, who's like, no, if you've ever seen a knife fight in your life, you know, especially with a switchblade. And it's true. Um when they flip it up, they don't hold it as if you're going to, you know, right. you're stabbing it down into something. You're going to hold it as in that's why they make them like that. So you could flip it out, hold it out in front of you. And it's almost like a mini sword fight, you know? Um, right. And, and that building suspense where he's like, part of me was kind of like when um, Lee Cobb's like, I'll show you how I would do it if, if that were me. And, that, you know, he goes to make himself a little smaller. Um, when you talk about the, uh, about Fonda having starred in Westerns, that's sort of where you can see it too. He's got the, he's got the like physicality down for the confrontations. Like when he comes over to him, he's just stoic and sort of standing there yeah, like, cool do your thing, number. buddy. <laughs> you know, you're not going to make me sweat. Go right ahead. And he winds up and he puts it in his pocket. I thought that that was a nice touch afterwards, how they didn't actually show him like go to make the movement. He's like, you know, he realized, okay, this could really sort of, make me lose a lot of support in this room if I do anything, you know, sort of stupid and fly off the handle here. So I'm just going to kind of place it back in there. That's my point. Move on. (laughs) Yeah, there's so much tension. I mean, you know, we've talked about him a lot because he's the main, you know, antagonist really of the film Yeah. between him and Fonda. I mean, they're polar opposites and and you're right. Um, uh, Also, you know, talking about Jack Klugman, I, I feel silly, but the whole movie I was like, man, he looks so familiar. Um, you know, of course, after I got online, I was like, oh, yeah, he's Oscar from The Odd Couple. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? I did not realize that watching it. Uh, it's just been so long since I've seen that. But uh, yeah, I really liked that scene with the knife. Like that part really kind of 
uh, that was really exciting to me because I, I like hearing the, those sorts of breakdowns, like, like I said, when I'm listening to something about a case, you know, when right. they talk about, well, you know, if they talk about, you know, uh, I guess like a, you know, blood splatter pattern or a bullet trajectory or whatever it is, like, I like hearing, you know, hey, this is not possible because of this, this and this, like, right. again, going back to facts, instead of just talking about like, would he have done that? It's like, could he have done that? Yeah. Um, and it, it casts a lot of doubt on what weapon was even used because uh, if it was a switchblade, like they say, then he wouldn't have inflicted the wound that way. So right. what does that mean? I mean, that means that this entire case is built on something that is pretty much impossible. Like it's one of the big moments where it's like, this could not have happened that way. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they prove it to you and like not knowing a lot about switchblades personally, I was like, Oh, okay, you know, I I, di- I didn't really know what they meant, but then when Jack Lugman actually shows them exactly how, I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense for them to have done it the other way, right? Um, and and so I really liked seeing that. It, it just painted a better picture for me. And once again, it, it you know uh, they address the fact that that character is probably the same ethnicity as the accused, right. and that comes up a lot. And, you know, he says things like he's grown up around that all his life. And so did this kid. So obviously this kid would know how to use one. Right. Um, and because of that, it actually, uh, you know, exonerates him almost. So. Yeah. And how he handles the knife is a, is really important, too. I feel like he's he's very good with it. Even when he picks it up, you could tell mm-hmm. he's worked with it before. Like uh, right. Klugman, that is, when he's like picking it up, he's like, you guys ever see a knife fight? And while he's like talking, everybody's looking away. He's like, tw- he's like flipping it. He's like opening it, closing it. And he's like. Well, I have seen these on my front porch. Of course, he's like opening it, examining it. You're like, yeah, this guy's definitely used a switch knife before. Like, right. He, he, he probably didn't just watch. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. very believable. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really important characteristic because it hits on it a few times where he sort of feels frustrated by that. He's like, look, don't look at me as I'm one of them, you know, because even he goes because juror number 10 um, – Begley is just like, you know them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, and I'm one of them too. And he's like, no, 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 not you, buddy. You know those guys like them. And he's like, I grew up in a slum. I'm exactly one of them. What are you talking about? And it's just, yeah. Right. It's it's a it's a really great scene. And he just has, I think Klugman has a sort of um way a, a presence. And I think that in every and everything he does, really, he's he has this sort of presence to him, but um, I think it comes across in the different characters that he plays. Like each character has a different presence. You could tell like this one when he comes up, he's like, you know, he, he sort of raises his hand, sticks out. He's like, eh, mind if I see that for a second? And he starts kind of playing around with it. You're like, okay, this is going to be interesting. What's he going to say? And you're like, okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And uh, all right, another knock against the <laughs> the guilty side here. So, um, you know, I think that the it was all fleshed out very well and, and a very important scene that was that was done really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ed, 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 Ed uh, Begley's character, he uses a lot of language that I feel like we still hear today of like, well, I'm not talking about you. Right. Don't be so sensitive. Like, you know, we still hear things like that today. And Jack Klugman handles it. His character handles it so well, the whole yeah. movie. In fact, you know, they there's a point where they assume that he's the one that uh, voted not guilty. And he voted guilty most of most yeah, of the time yeah. until that point with the knife. Right. Um, and, and also uh, one thing that I read about, about this character is in the play, the character is supposed to be like 21. Um, oh, he's gotcha. supposed to be close to the 
age of the victim. So, um, which is why he says things like, I'm a kid, I, I'm a kid that grew out of the, the slums. I mean, it's supposed to be more, not literal, but like closer to that gotcha. time to where he, he more closely resembles the kid and he really knows what he went through. And uh, Jack Klugman kind of wanted was not sure if he wanted to take the role. He wasn't sure he could do it because right. of that. But uh, the director really pushed for him to do it. And and I really like it because it's just, it's another way of looking at it. Because yeah. I think the fact that he's older adds some weight to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, it gives I think a perspective he, that I don't think he would have as the young, young 20 year old. Exactly. I feel like, you know, he could have had a rough life, maybe even committed some crimes. And he's thinking, man, one push one tiny push one way or the other. And that would have been me. Right. And that's kind of what's weighing on him so heavily the whole time. Um, along with feeling, you know, uh, persecuted in, in that room. Yeah. But just, you know, just relating to the kids so much. And then, and then that little giveaway, like you said, where he's like, Oh, I've seen these fights before, but he's really good with the knives. So you're like, eh, I feel like you were in them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like, like you uh, may have taken part. A, a lot of like nuances. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just adds nuance to that, to that character. And so I, I really like that about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, can we talk about uh, one juror that we haven't talked about sure. yet? Um, John, John Fiedler's character, juror uh, number two. He's like, when I looked at him at first, I was like, is that Radar from MASH? Um, <laughs> he did seem like he's Radar got, from like, MASH. He's got like tendency of, of Radar from MASH, little tendencies about like his sort of quiet demeanor. But I love how it builds throughout the film. He sort of gains confidence as the film goes on to sort of really be his own person. Um, you sort of get that a little bit in the beginning when he's talking with uh, Lee Cobb when they first enter the courtroom and he's asking him, he's like, and Lee Cobb's just like, everybody's sort of wasting their time here. And he's like, well, I don't really know about that. Everybody should like sort of have a right to, you know, hear each, hear each other out and see where everybody's at. And you're like, okay, I like this guy. You know, he's a good sort of level headed guy. And, uh, but I, I think he's he's very inter- he's a really interesting dynamic to have in the room because he gives you both that like there's there's almost an innocence about him that you're like for sure yeah I, I don't know how to describe it and but it feels right in the room like everybody else doesn't really mind speaking up or this that or the other thing but there's this sort of I don't know there's like a youthful. I guess youthful exuberance is the best way I can put it to him that I, I think is really interesting and to have him sitting next to uh, Lee Cobb, I think is a really, a really cool choice. Like just the way that Mm -hmm. I think all the jurors where they're all placed and you know, the, the dynamics of that I think is really interesting as well. Um, And I think that his plays a big part into it because you're like, this just big for both guys talking. And then you get, um, what's his name again? Uh, John Fiedler who's next to him. And he's just yeah. like, okay, he's a little bit more, more of the quiet type, but that's, that's okay. It really works for his character. Um, I really, I really enjoyed him in this film. I think he did, um, a good job. Yeah. I, I like that, uh, you know, in the beginning, he's one of the first people to be kind of sympathetic towards Henry Fonda's, you know, having doubts and that's automatically preyed upon by by lee jacob and some of the other members in the room they're like well you're you know a a shrimpy little guy and of course you're easily you're also a bleeding heart and you're easily swayed and it's just one of those things where it's like just because someone's the loudest person in the room doesn't make them right 
And, you know, th- this character starts off really meek and mild. He's like a, a bank teller, right? Uh, I think so. I think, oh, I think that's his job. Yeah. Or unpretentious bank worker is what I'm, I'm reading. Um, so he, he doesn't live an exciting life. And you, you almost get the, the sense in the film that he's enjoying being a juror a little too yeah, much. Like he just sure. seems kind of like do-goodery and like, you know, quiet and like, oh, I don't mind being here and hanging out with you guys. You know, it's like it's almost kind of sad. But like as the as the story goes on, his courage kind of comes yeah. out, you know, and, and by the end of it, he has a pretty strong voice. Um, the whole movie, I just I liked hearing him talk because it was like a little break, um, I guess, in the same way that um, Jack Warden is kind of comedy relief like he was too yeah. sometimes. And then I just, it drove me nuts the whole movie. I'm like, who is he? And uh, I don't know if you read this, that he he was the voice of Piglet. <laughs> oh my gosh, was he really? Yeah, yeah it said from 1968 until until he passed away. He was, oh my he was gosh. Piglet. I feel like I've seen him in a million other things as well. Exactly, yeah. And I think especially in the era of like, you know, there were a lot of Disney movies that, you know... Uh, Walt Disney loved animation and that was his, his first love, but he had to do a lot of like live action right. to fund those movies and also like Disneyland and Disney world. Um, and I feel like I saw him a lot. So like the whole movie, I was like, who is this guy? But yeah, when I read that, I'm like, that's so adorable. And isn't it adorable <laughs> that he's so small, like in real life, like that's great. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe like him even more like after that, but no, no, I think he did a really good job and and he definitely seems like a character actor you know and i, I think he yes. just adds like a little bit of lightness to some of the scenes um yeah yeah no he definitely it brings a little bit of light to that room which gets very very dark at times like sometimes when you know they go off and they stand up and then he's like well i don't think you should talk to him like that you know you're like oh yeah. man oh buddy you're cute man like you know stay <laughs> yeah, in there that's adorable like, yeah, you know, it, yeah. It is an, it's this I think what's great about it is it gives you a sense that like you don't have to be this big verbose person in order to have a voice and in order to be a man. You don't have to yeah like what what is that that means something different to everybody, what being a man is. And I think that that's something that like they pointed out and even Lee J. Cobb says it to him a couple times. Like be a man, you know, vote for you know do what you think you know you know he's guilty can't you see that he's guilty him and their kind and you're just like ah buddy and you right by the time at the end of the movie where he's like you know what why don't you just shut up and you're like oh thank you thank (laughs) you thank Thank you um it i think is is really great his turnaround um and his character arc along with pretty much everybody else i think is is really great and i think he adds a nice dynamic to that room that really it it really does it helps like it gives you that one guy that like aside from the old guy the small old guy that nobody can really do anything to it's like he's this younger sort of and like you said there's an excitement that he has to it where at like at first you're like okay this guy's loving this a little bit too much he's like in on the action it's like his ball game with his buddies except you know he doesn't really probably doesn't have that many buddies and doesn't get to do out do this sort of thing very often it's just like He's all in on it, and I think that he has a great dynamic to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you raise an interesting point that okay, so like the movie is called Twelve Angry Men, right. and you know, I was reading a fact like I don't think there's any female characters in the whole movie, but I do think that this is a movie where it kind of needs to be that way. Like, I think you could remake this and have some of the characters be female, but by making them all male, I mean, I think that it's really speaking to that 
to the male experience. Yeah. And because literally like the, the, the victim and the accused, they're male too. Like something about that and all the jurors being male, like it just makes the most sense for this story. Like it's almost like stronger that way. And the fact that it's, like you kind of touched on, there's like different ways to be a man and that's represented with all these different characters. Yep. Yeah. I just think, I think it's stronger for that. Like, I think this is a case where it, it kind of needs to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just a random thought. No, I think that that's yeah. a, you know, something that I don't know if it was intended when it was written, but. Um, yeah, it could just be because of when it was written, but yeah. it makes sense for the story. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I think that it does work really well because it does show you that there are all these, you know, there's the different kinds because uh, there's like, think about it in, in the movie, there's like two different bruisers in the room. You got Lee J. Cobb and then you got um, juror number six, Edward Bins, who's like, he's real quiet. And a lot of his lines are like, just when he starts sticking up for the other people who can't really stick up for themselves when he's like, look, you might be a big guy, but I'm a big guy too. And if you open your mouth again, I'm going to bash you on. And it's like, and then so you have him and oh, Lee yeah. Jacob, and then you have like you think about the old turtle guy, uh, Joseph Sweeney, and uh, <laughs> and John Fiedler. They're two sort of like littler guys on the more you know frail side of things, but one a difference in age and like you know, and then you have the two um, sort of you have the two minorities that are in the room. Um, and there's just an interesting dichotomy of the two salesmen and their different approaches. And it's just like, you know, picking up on all those different things, it's just like the opposite sides of the spectrum for each side. And I think it's something that doesn't really get um, – or something that, while it might not have been intended, um, works really well for it. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention – okay, so Edward Benz is juror number six. He's the guy that you said, like, he stands up for people right. a lot. Uh, his profession is like he's a house painter. He's tough, but principled and respectful. Yeah, he he also approaches Fonda in the bathroom after the salesman does, and he's like, "Look, buddy, he's guilty. I don't know what else to tell you." And that's sort of like the one his big moment really is like when he goes in after they take the break. Um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Warden talks to him in the bathroom where he's going along the lines of like, "You salesman to Henry Fonda or whatever." And then he goes out. And then Bins comes in and Bins is like, look, guy, he's guilty. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know, though. I don't know if he's guilty. You know, we'll find out. Yeah, but you're right. He shows that you can be tough while still being, like, compassionate and supporting people that maybe need you to step in sometimes and be tough right. for them. Like, he, he definitely shows a different side yeah, of that. Absolutely. Like, like when they side. even badmouth yeah. the uh, Joseph Sweeney, juror number nine, they're like, you know, you say one more word to, you know, degrade that old man and I'll go over there and I'll show you, you know, what some respect is like. And you're like, okay, wow. Definitely a sign of the times a, but B, um, you know, <laughs> a little bit, it shows you both sides of the coin. While one guy is this loud verbose flying off the handle. There's the, the calm sort of stoicism, but um, it's interesting to see where they all lie. Cause you're like, there are some good men in here and you sort of forget that everybody in the room starts out thinking that he's guilty with the exception of Fonda. And you're like, how this could have played out so much different than how it winds up playing out. Without yeah. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Sweeney's character. I, I really like the part where he, he puts, he puts some doubt on the old man's testimony, even though right. he's an old man. 
Um, and he and he says, well, maybe he feels insignificant. Maybe he feels small. Maybe people haven't listened to him. And I don't know. I just found that part like really moving, I think, because I just do have such a soft spot for for older people. And I do feel like society kind of forgets yeah. them and, and just just how sympathetic he is. He has a different perspective than everybody else in that room does because he's closer to his age. Right. And so, you know, that's why it's so important to have so many different uh so many different perspectives on a case like this because you, you need different strong opinions, you right. know, and because they can speak for people that aren't in the yeah. room. So I, I just I, I really liked I loved him too. Like he, he's one that comes up a lot. He's, he has a lot of sage advice. Yeah, absolutely. Film. And he really has the critical turning moment that Henry Fonda sort of thanks him for and that you could see the relief on his face when he brings up the divots of the eyeglass marks of the female who's on trial. Um, and he asks mm-hmm. uh, EJ Marshall, juror number four, about his the glasses marks on his face. He's just very – like I, I love the way he speaks. I love – I love yeah. the way that he, uh, the beats he takes in his monologues, um, where he chooses to pause, like where he chooses to inflect and so on and so forth, where he's like, I didn't notice you had those eye marks on your glasses till you just took them off. And you're like, well, that's a very sweet way to say that. Thank you, old man. And you could tell that like EJ Marshall sort of, EG Marshall, sorry, sort of, um, like playing off of that a little bit. He's like, oh, this sweet old man's talking to me. And you could sort of see it on his face until... Um, Joseph Sweeney brings up the fact that, you know, this woman wore glasses and you could sort of see the whole mm-hmm. thing change. And, um, but no, I think that Joseph Sweeney did a wonderful job. I loved him ever since the first time I saw it. I was like, I want that to be me when I'm an old man. <laughs> I want to be that old man <laughs> that looks like a turtle. Um, so <laughs> no, it's just, it was, it, it's, he's one of my favorites of the film for sure. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about him a little bit, but uh, Robert Weber, um, one of the salesmen, he's juror yes. number 12. Um, like you said, the opposite of Jack Warden. But I, I like the way he plays the character. I feel like now it would be like maybe um, John Hamm or someone yes. like that, you know, <laughs> maybe because I'm thinking of Mad Men. But, so. um, but, but it's like there's something sort of over the top. I think he and uh, George Voskovic are kind of like the more distinguished – uh, more worldly members of the jury. Like they're a little bit, it's not like they're above, but they're like, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like more interested in like high society yeah, type absolutely. stuff. And he's kind of a little obnoxious and, you know, he, he's full of stories. Like he's your typical like sales guy, right? Like, you know, a, a stereotype of like, uh, you know, a sweet oh, yeah. talker kind of. And um, I like, I liked, I liked his performance and how like, you know, there's all these people in this room that probably normally maybe turned off to that personality type, especially some of the, the rougher around the edges guys who just don't really have the patience for it. Um, and, uh, you know, that guy that, that, that the actor, he, it said, uh, I read that, you know, over his 40 year career as one of Hollywood's, you know, best veteran character actors. And I'm like, you know, I'm not familiar right. with him. So I'm kind of like, I'd like to see the other characters he plays because I just I really liked the way he portrayed him and, and how for a lot of the movie, I kind of felt like he was just like, he just enjoyed hearing himself talk and he wasn't really engaged in the facts of the case. But then when he was confronted with that and, and really like waffled back and forth a couple of times, I felt that it was genuine waffling back and forth. Unlike 
uh, warden who waffled back and forth because he's just going to agree with whatever right. anyone else says. Robert Weber was truly torn and you saw like a more human side to him. He kind of dropped his act and you saw who he really was right. in those moments. And, and you're more sympathetic to him after that. You're like, Oh, you know, that that's his personality. That's just like who he is, but that doesn't mean he's not like a real person, you know? So I thought, I, I thought I liked the way that he played him. Yeah, absolutely. His body language and everything, how that changed throughout the, the film was great a, a yeah. great sense of to looking how he was like you know and he's sort of sitting up he's got this great posture and then you know after he's sort of confronted at first where he's like you know where he thinks he's not guilty rather than his hand shooting right up when he votes not guilty at first you could see it's this sort of timid move and they're like not guilty and then everybody is like what are you talking about and he's just like i don't know and they're like he's well like, what I'm do you believe and he's just <laughs> i don't know i i really don't and then so you're right it, his you know, waffling was very genuine, which um, really brought out a, a great sense of attention as well, because you're sort of waffling with him. I feel like mm -hmm. at this point, you're like, oh, man, I feel just like this guy. Um, uh, of course, up until they get to the to the end scene. But uh, no, I, I really liked him um, as well. Had some good moments. I feel like him and um, what's this guy's name? Uh, Martin Balsam, juror number one, were kind of mm -hmm. similar. Um, yeah. in a sense where they played off each other a lot. There's a lot of moments where like the camera's sort of panning away and you see who's sort of talking to who, who's playing with who, and those two sort of play with each other a lot in the scenes. And it's um, very interesting because while they don't necessarily have a whole lot to work with, I think they both very much excel um, with their characters. Yeah, Martin Balsam, he's sort of, um, you know, he appoints himself in charge a little bit. Yeah. He, you know, he takes all the votes and, and there's even a tense moment where somebody challenges him. One of the jurors challenges him and says, how come you're in charge? And he's like, do you want to do it? Anyone yeah. in here can do it. Go for it. It's not easy. And it's like, I feel that his character kind of gets not overlooked, but like, we're not talking about him as much because he's really just the... You know, he, he, he really just sets the, the tone for how right. the votes are taken and he, he adds a little bit of, you know, he's a little bit more objective, yeah. but that doesn't mean that that's an easy position to be in. Just because he's taking the votes and, and helping decide what to do next doesn't mean that he's not just as engaged as everyone else just because his opinion isn't as loud. Yeah. And so I think that's interesting. You, you, later you find out he's an assistant high school football coach. Um, when he has that conversation with um, Henry Fonda, like when it's raining, what did you think of that conversation? I, when, when that was happening, I was wondering like how, why do you think that moment was there? Like, how does that play into the rest of the movie? Um, I'm not really sure. I think it sort of gives you a moment into just who maybe Martin Balsam is um, mm -hmm. because he's sort of just that rule setter and that like tone setter of like, okay, well, we're in here, we're doing this. I don't object. Does anybody else object? Okay. And he just kind of goes along with everything. So I don't know if it was more of that or if it's more of just him looking at his athlete like a piece of meat rather than a human being as well. I don't know because he talks about him. He's like, you know, I got this ball player. He's, he's a real ox, real ox. You know, he's like, he's an all-star. He's going to make you know, this, and he's going to do that rather than talking about the type of person that he is. He's just kind of talking about, I think the sort of mm. specimen that he is. And I don't know if that could sort of play into maybe, you know, how they're sort of going about looking at 
um, obviously the accused. So I, I don't oh, know if it okay. might play into that or if that might be looking too far into it. But um, I thought it could either be used as both a to give you some background on juror number one, or it could sort of you know play to that greater overall um, morality slash you know philosophical question. So yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I think he has to have that moment, like you said, because he's scorekeeper you're not really learning a lot about him. So he has to have some moment where you learn something about him. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's his moment. Um, and, and also, you know, he, he ultimately votes not guilty, but he never actually gives like a straightforward reason why. Right. So I don't know if that, if that plays into it too. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. It's weird. Cause he and um, Robert Weber flip at the same time and they never question Balsam mm-hmm. about it, but they do question Weber about it. So you're like, that's weird. Why wouldn't they, question both of them rather than just the right one. yeah but yeah yeah i don't know it's something to think about i'll have to watch it again and think about it again Definitely. but i i agree with what you're saying i think i don't think i paid enough attention to what he was describing about um about his uh you know about the athlete so i think i, I want to go back and, and watch that now yeah yeah it's it's something that like i think more people look at it as like, okay, this is sort of a moment to show, sort of show you who he is a little bit. Um, Cause it seems like everybody sort of has a moment with Henry Fonda, um, whether it be by the window or, you know, if it's in the bathroom and that's sort of his moment too. So I don't know if it might just be that as well. And it's just sort of a conversation that's there or if it plays into the deeper part of everything. I mean, part of me sort of thinks that might be the latter because everything seems like it was done with that intent and, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I feel like everything in the movie is probably intentional. So, so yeah, it's just something to think about. Um, well, are there any are there any other scenes that that we haven't touched on yet that you want to kind of dissect? Um, the only other one that I could really think of is just the sort of the the fall of Lee J. Cobb, um, maybe. I love um, it. I don't know mm-hmm. what else there really is so to good. say other than just like really well performed you could like you can sort of tell when everybody's in that room and they're like looking at him that their characters are like watching this like tragedy happen but as actors you could sort of tell too they're like they're like we're here for you we're supportive like we're actively engaged like sometimes you know how when you have those like serious moments like I don't know. I, and I don't know if it's my background where I had to like pick certain things out in scenes and watching theatrical scenes all the time. But like, I can always tell if somebody's disengaged and it's like when they're showing you everybody else, like reacting to uh, Lee Cobb, you're like, everybody in this room, eyes are attentive. They're on beat. Every time he moves, their retinas move. Like everybody is fully engaged. Um, Meanwhile, you get nothing but this eerie silence while he's breaking down and it's just absolutely incredible from an acting standpoint. I think from a cinematography standpoint as well and how it's shot and how like the sort of rapid panel to and from um, is sort of like what's going on in his mind. He's got these like diarrhea of the mouth, you know, he just keeps going and keeps going and going. (laughs) And then he finally gets to the, scene where he throws his wallet on the table and it's just oh it's heart-wrenching and he just sort of like you know reached down and he's just you know again with the kids and you know kids you work your life out and he just like rips the picture and whoa 
man, it's crazy. And then he's, he's kind of going down yeah. and he's just, you know, he surrenders essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the whole movie, you're waiting for him to have an epiphany right. like that, I think. But but it's still surprising when he has it because it's so big. Um, and, and he's the, you know, pretty much the main antagonist of the whole movie. But then, you know, at the end, it's like he's not a monster. He's just a person. And I think that that's a big part of the movie yeah. itself is that the the boy is a person too um and that we're all people and and that that's important every life is important um even if this guy is mean to his son and not a great dad and it does seem like he's his own worst enemy because you know being convinced he's right is what seems like destroyed his relationship with his son and being convinced he's right is what's hurting him in this situation it's like and I think he has that realization yeah. at the end and it's very painful and, you know, people are shocked in the room by it, but they're also really sympathetic to him. And I completely agree. Like the acting that he, the performance he delivers, like you feel the sort of like the energy in the room and the way they're all reacting to it. I, I do think a lot of acting is not just, you know, giving your line, but reacting to the last yeah. person's line. And so sometimes that's even with just a look yeah. and, you know, Henry Fonda is like one of the, you know, I read that like he he's like one of the oldest people to have ever been uh, ever won an Oscar. Uh, I think he I think he won it. Let me double check that. Well. Um, yeah, it was for uh, On the Golden Pond and he was 76 Oof. when he won. Um, yeah, um, but it, it's like there's so there's so much to be said for acting that's that subtle too. like that's just his facial expressions, which again, perfect for Westerns. Uh, Something that I think like, uh, you know, actors now, like, you know, someone like, uh, I don't know, Harrison Ford or, um, or not John Wayne, uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, people that have this sort of steely demeanor, but that doesn't mean they don't have any emotion in their face. You know, it's all there. And, and he's so incredibly sympathetic towards Lee Cobb. And I think it's because the whole movie, everyone else is afraid of the energy between them and the anger. But I think Henry Fonda's character can see who Lee J. Cobb is. And he he knows where this is going. And, and right. he can kind of predict that this is going to happen. And that's why he's not like afraid of him. Right. He just he has sympathy for him. You know? Well, it's why at the end when he he's the one who helps, he put, he, he's the one who grabs his coat, you know? And puts yeah. it on him. It puts it on his shoulders. And I think that that just goes to show you, like, yeah, you, you. I think you hit the nail on the head. He he sort of knew who this guy was, and had an idea that there was. It was bound to come down to like a somebody shouting one way or the other at the end of the day, and that he wasn't going to be the <laughs> one to do it. And ultimately, this guy was. And um, you know, to have the respect to be able to at the end of the day, essentially, it's like you know. When you think about like an MMA match, the guys go in there and beat the crap out of each other 15 minutes at when they're done, shake hands, you know, and hug. And it's just like almost like that, you know, it's this cathartic sort of release. And it's like, okay, put your jacket on, like, let's get you out of here. And I think one of the, my favorite moments is when they pan away out of the room and you see what's on the table. Um, yeah. You know, and you could see the torn picture. You could see the scribbles on the paper. You could see, that some paper's just been twirled because it's been played with. You could see some that's been crumpled just because their people are bored and they're looking to do something with their hands. And um, very interesting. And I think just overall, like what a what a way to go 
out, you know, you have this climax and then it's just, you know, the way it sort of ends, like we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the show, it was just like, whoo, you get done with it and you're like, I got to, you know, go take a breather. It's heavy. For sure. I mean, you know, like you said, throughout the film, there's all these little things that are building the tension. Uh, it's so hot in the room. Everyone's constantly sweating. The uh, the fan doesn't work. It's the hottest day of the year. Then there's the storm. Like there's just so many different things that happen to heighten the tension. And, you know, it's like, how do you make a movie that's just basically in a room? Right. So exciting, right? And like all those things kind of play into it. And then the climax is so satisfying. And I also love uh, when they're leaving the room, uh, when they're going out of the building and it's like, oh, we're back into reality, yeah. you know, um, and they're, they're, you know, on the streets of New York and um, the character uh, Joseph Sweeney stops Henry um, Fonda Henry Fonda and asks him, you know, what his name is and he tells him and, <laughs> and they have that moment and then he, he leaves, you know, and it's like they don't really say like, oh, let's hang out now right. or let's go to get a drink. It seemed like there was a moment where they both thought about it and then it didn't happen. But it's because like that whole thing was so intense and so personal. But what's so weird about it is they'll never talk to each other yeah. again. They'll never see each other again because they were all randomly selected. So it's like, it's not like they all work together or, you know what I mean? Like they're intentionally picked to not know each other and to be random. Right. And, and it's kind of, I don't know. I just thought that part was interesting. Right. And I also feel like it's, it's part of his character, but by the same token, I feel like there's a little bit of Joseph Sweeney in that too, where he's like, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the last shot. All right. Bye. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, see you later. <laughs> like he just walks up to him and yeah. he's just kind of like, what's your name? And he tells him the name and they're kind of shaking hands. And you could just tell he's got this sort of black look on his face. Like, I really don't have anything more to say to you. I don't really know what to say to you. So goodbye. Have a good day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. And, and very, very realistic. Yeah, too. Uh, it's just so funny the way he goes about <laughs> it. And it's something that I think we sort of missed like today too, as well, not to get, yeah, I'm not going to go on a rant or anything like that, but just like, yeah, these well, days. Just sort of things where <laughs> it's like, it's tough. I know a lot of people like it's, it, I'm one of them that have like a hard time saying goodbye to people when like you're going to leave somewhere. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. See you later. And somebody else comes up to you and you're like, oh, you're leaving. You're like, yeah, I'm leaving. And then like 45 minutes later, you're still leaving. <laughs> and you're like, you know, whereas back then you could always be like, all right. Yeah. Well, we got to go. Okay. Yeah. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You could just like leave. And I think that <laughs> I might just adopt this from now on. Well, Okay. See you later. <laughs> you know, just go. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No stopping chat. Good. Just, just, just head out. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Well, I think when you're, you know, Joseph Sweeney's age, like I, you know, as part of adopting right. that person, I mean, you know, you're, when you're an old man, you can do whatever exactly. you want. So, you know, just you go know? for it. Yeah. As long as you got the cute suspenders yeah. on and a fedora, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, no, I, I really like, I mean, the second it ended, I was kind of like, it's already over. Like I didn't check the runtime really when I started watching it. So, you know, it, it is brief, but I think every second is used Absolutely. to the fullest and I don't think it should be any longer or any shorter. It's, it's perfect at the length that it's at. So I, I, I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Pacing was great. And, um, like you said, I, it just everything, the way it's shot, the way it's performed, you know, while it still does sort of leave you wanting more, it doesn't. It just makes you want to watch it again. Like, it just makes you want to be like, yeah, okay, that's great. Like, I could I could watch it any time, or at least for me, maybe. But uh, mm -hmm. also, in part two, I think very 
much a less is more with this film insofar as like you don't get a whole lot of music, you don't get a whole lot of everything else, which I think adds, you know, is is a character in and of itself. You know, the silence sort of plays to the tension and um, you know, Definitely. something that I just I, I really enjoyed all aspects of. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I guess you kind of already answered it. I was going to say, what keeps you coming yeah, back to this movie? Pretty much all but... that, you know, it's just great. It, it really yeah, is. Yeah. And um, I'm a sucker for old timey stuff, too. And um, really just I, I think that the it's a movie that you could watch today and say, wow, that's that's relevant today. And I and like you had said earlier to the language and how it was written, I think can really play for any time. Um and I just think that the message of the of the film is, is is wonderful. What Henry Fonda's character is trying to sort of achieve there, and not for his own sake, just for the sake of being a good person. And I think that that's sort of what gets tends to get lost in a lot of things is not doing something because to everybody else it's the right thing to do. Um, do it because you believe in it, and because it's the right thing to do, and also because it's just what a good person would do. And I just think that, that overall message is something that you could really bring away from it. No, I completely agree. Again, I think that uh, I was shocked by how yeah. relevant this is. And in fact, when I, um, when I did a quick Google search, uh, a couple, an article like that came up about how like, man, this still rings mm-hmm. true today. And, you know, it was definitely something I was thinking about while watching it. Um, I, I like I've said at the beginning, I'm a really big sucker for anything related yeah. to true crime or courtroom type stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of people, they're really addicted to like hearing, you know, some people are like, oh, I really like serial yeah. killers or like, you know, horrible crime. You know, I don't like that. I like this part of it. Like, this is actually my, like, it's crazy. I didn't already see this movie because this is actually my favorite part of it. It's the sort of more investigative part where you're bouncing off ideas of what could have happened or, you know, poking holes in, in, in in what did happen um, and questioning it and, and having these philosophical debates about it. You know, I, I think that's something that, that definitely hooks me right away. And, and, um, uh, I think for me, you know, a lot of things make a good movie, but one big thing for me is yes. usually dialogue um, and the actors. And and for some reason, that's always been one of the big things for me. I mean, I I don't have like a big theater background or anything. I took a couple mm-hmm. theater classes when I was a kid, but I, I always yeah. really liked actors. I always have. And for a long time, you know, I would always jump on, you know, IMDb and like look up everyone's <laughs> names. I always want to know what they're up to. And I think I'm really into like underdogs in the sense of I always love yeah. character actors a lot. So it's really cool to see a movie like this. that's a long time ago um, where some of these character actors I may not be familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Makes me know I more. did the same thing. I looked up, um, I think, everybody in here yeah. too. And I was like, what else have they been? And I know I've seen some of these people in some other things. Like I want to watch that again. So. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes like an Easter egg type thing where you're just like excited Very to see so. those people pop up again. And um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think sometimes it's sad, like the further you get away from a movie, not everybody yeah. likes to see old timey stuff, you know, and you're really missing out. Like, wow, there's so many, you know, people complain. They're right. like, oh, there's no good movies anymore. Well, maybe look to the past then, you know, because... There have been so many incredible movies and I think it really helps too. Like I watched this and I think it was very upscaled Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the, you know, like the, it seemed like it was digitally remastered. It looked like perfect. So, 
you know, I feel like now more than ever, you can watch old movies and they basically look like new, like the only difference is they're black and white. And I feel like that, I don't know, it adds some level of like, I don't know, it makes it feel a little bit more current too. So I I would say like the copy that I saw on, you know, iTunes, I just rented it and it looked amazing. I'm, I'm going to buy it. Like I'm converted. Like you converted. Oh, nice. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Through watching it and through. So yeah, I would say like, just it's a, such a great it script really and it's just um it's just shot so well i think like i said I, I totally see this as a play but i think it's only improved by being a movie because of, of the shots and the way the director handled it um it's just really cool it's 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 definitely a back to basics kind of thing where it's like you know a, as the director got more experience he did bigger and bigger projects and i just i always love seeing what directors do with something with a very limited budget yeah. and you know limited time and like has to get creative you know like is. you said about the mm-hmm. whole the way he shot the different acts is it's so weird to it, think about but by the same token when you when you do like really sit back and you think about the movie you're like wow i did get that impression so for him to do that and and know how to do that it seems like it's something that like a seasoned vet would do you know but just knowing to pull mm-hmm. those sorts of tricks out of the sleeve is like just a testament yeah. And what would you say to someone that's never seen this before? Like, what do you say to the the young kids these days? Um, <laughs> just give it a chance. I feel like if, if you sit down and you watch at least like give it 20 minutes, because I feel like if you give it 20 minutes, you'll be in. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the dialogue, I think, really does pull you in. Um, but all, also, I think just from a perspective of if you want to know that, like, especially for people nowadays, you know, when you hear your parents or your older siblings and stuff talk about, you know, well, that stuff, you know, we didn't think that this happened, you know, all that much, you know, back, you know, today and, and back then. It's like, no, watch this. This has been prevalent for for ever. <laughs> so as long as we've been around, this, yeah, is, this yeah. has been prevalent and it, it's very much relevant to today. So I would say for anybody that hasn't watched it, um, just watch it and if for nothing else just like there's something i feel like you can find that you would love in the movie regardless if you're a fan of you know cinematography if you're a fan of i even feel like certain dialects um if you're a fan of uh you know any of the certain actors or of the twilight zone you know watch this uh watch this it's it's it really is just phenomenal in, in all aspects yeah, like like I was saying in the beginning, you know, it's it's one of those movies that I feel is always recommended like, you know, what do people joke about like Citizen Kane or right. something like I feel like this is, you know, this is one of those movies like that that people are like, "Oh, you haven't seen that yet?" <laughs> and it's like, "No, really, you haven't. Like you need to right. right now. Like go home and watch it." I I definitely felt that way after seeing it. It's just really powerful so. and it's just it's moving, it's thought-provoking. And, you know, those are those are the kind of things that I like about movies. I, I want to walk away and and think about it and apply it to myself and question myself and my own motives sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your own character and, and all that stuff you said is just so true. Just, um, you know, it, it's more important to be a good person and, instead of just being right. And I think Henry Fonda's character exemplified that perfectly. And so I would tell someone, you know, yeah, this movie's far in the past, but wow, is it relevant to today? Yeah. Maybe even more so because we're even quicker to judge. Absolutely. um, Because we're getting information so much quicker now. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I I would just say like, it's a classic for a reason and and you really need to give it a shot. And uh, I noticed when I bounced this idea off around some people, you know, I just mentioned on social media and to, to people in my own life, 
Uh, like, I, I think I, I ran it by even like my dad. I said, oh, yeah, you know, I, like assuming he had seen it. I said, oh, yeah, we're going to do 12 Angry Men. He's like, what's that about? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, I, I think I might have heard of it. You know, yeah. I was kind of surprised by how many people haven't seen it. Like, I feel like it's one of those movies that when you bring it up, people go, oh, yeah, I've seen that. You know, like and they haven't or yeah. something like I just think like. It, it's such a classic that sometimes people almost skip it. And I would say, don't do that. Go back and watch it. Yeah. It's really good. Please go back and watch it. Take, cause yeah. you, I feel like, you know, like we just said, you can take something away from it, you know, be it, mm-hmm. you know, a message or, or whatever, anything. So yeah, go back and watch it. It's a really is a timeless classic that I feel like has great rewatchability that you can like sit down. I know if I'd like turn on like AMC or something, if it's on, it's not, it's not shutting off. Like it's not going off. I'm finishing it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just great. And I think that for anybody who hasn't seen it, just, you know, dip your, dip your toes in the water, check it out. Totally agree. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad that you came on and talked about this movie. It was super fun. Like it felt like a treat for me. Like I just really wanted to talk about it too. Thank you for (laughs) having me on. I I really appreciate you taking, you know, the time to sit down and talk with me about this. I'm sorry if I might've chewed your ear off a little bit, but uh, not at all. Not at all. Very much enjoyed myself. So thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, awesome. Um, in, is there anything you want to plug um, before you hang Not out? really. I mean, you guys can, uh, if you guys want to, you know, talk to me on social media, I'm at Jordan Funky on Twitter. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I also do podcasts on my own with my co-host, Chris Rimmer, um, talking about DC comics. And so um, really just getting down to the nitty gritty of what gets released every week. So if you guys want to listen to that show, it's uh, DC Comics Squadcast. Or if you want to talk to us on Twitter, at DC Squadcast. It is really awesome that you guys do that because for someone like me, I'm I'm never going to be able to catch up ever. <laughs> it's very hard. So. It's hard for us too. Like it's it's something that you know recording is never a set thing either. It's between you know he's got little Roscoe, his little boy, and um, just family life and life in general. You know how that gets in the way of things a lot of times. So um, yeah, yep. it's it's tough. But hey, we we love doing it, and so it's um it's always fun doing it. Cool. Well, you need to come back. You need to start picking your next movie. Oh, I got a couple lined up already. I <laughs> give some other Yay. people a chance, but um, I'm added <laughs> one to this one too. That uh, if nobody else takes, I'll I'll send it to you in the, in the messenger, and hopefully nobody else takes it. We can talk about that one too. So, cool, cool, awesome. Well, thanks so much again, and have a great. All right, night. thanks, Lisa. See ya. All right, thanks. See ya. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. That was a fun episode. I really enjoyed having Jordan on to discuss this classic film. Uh, If you guys have feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. And I'm also on Instagram at AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. Or in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. The group is closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. Uh, If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you will be entered to win, sorry, a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. And right now we're at 21 reviews, so I'll draw again when we get to 30. So please leave one today. Uh, Thank you guys so much, and I look forward to hearing from you.